My name is Martin Newman, and I'm the Consumer Champion. After 37 years in consumer-facing industries, believe me, I have seen it all. My goal is to play a role in providing consumers with a voice, to connect with brands that they've engaged with, and to help companies to learn from their customers where they're going right or where they're going wrong. You're joining me on Customer Centricity, the podcast. Each episode, you will find me in conversation with leading business people, discussing some of the key issues around how to empower positive change for consumers and brands. Before I introduce our guest for this episode, let me tell you a little bit more about customer service action. Just like you, I've been on the wrong end of some staggeringly bad customer service. We've all experienced it, haven't we? Whether it's the root waiter or having to wait 40 minutes in a queue. And just like you again, I've also been delighted by an amazing experience when I wasn't expecting it. But aside from telling the manager or writing a rather awkward thank you note on TripAdvisor, what can you really do when something is great or when it's not so good? My frustration has always been not knowing how to raise these issues with the brand in question in the first place, or whether in fact I'd be even wasting my time by doing so. For these reasons, I launched Customer Service Action, a platform where people can share their good and their bad customer service stories and experiences in one impartial place. My vision is that we can collectively make a difference and create the change that consumers seek and in turn help businesses too. Good customer service and good customer experience leads to successful brands. So please visit us at www.customerserviceaction.com to learn more. Thank you for listening to Customer Centricity. Now for our guest. Today, I am hugely privileged to be joined by the co-founder and the co-CEO of an amazing business called Afterpay. In the UK, it is known as Clearpay. I'm joined by Nick Molnar, who uh, is, as I say, the the co-founder of the business, and they are the leading buy now, pay later provider. Nick, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me, Martin. And I think I'm eating into your evening because Nick is joining us all the way from, is it sunny Sydney? Yeah, it's supposed to be sunny summer in Sydney. Today was raining, but um, no, it's no, no problem at all to be doing it at night. Love it. <laughs> well, thank you very much. We're very grateful uh, to have you on. Nick, as I've already alluded to, you've created, I think, one of the most incredible businesses that really is changing the way uh, that consumers pay for goods online and in store, albeit not in store in the UK, but to come in the future. Um, can you tell us how it all started? What was the, what was the inspiration for the business? Yeah, it's a it's quite quite a long story, but you know, kind of a coming together of many fortunate moments in mine and my co-founder's life. Um, the first being that we happened to be neighbours. Uh, so, you know, his wife convinced him to buy the house across the road from my parents. Um, my parents decided to you know be jewellers for my entire life, and uh, I for, was fortunate to sell the most jewellery online out of my bedroom at university. And one day, um, Anthony, my neighbor, approached me, said, I don't mean to pry, but I see your light on every night. What do you do? <laughs> and he didn't exactly think I was selling jewelry, um, going to, the, going to the, the post office with a, you know, a sack of parcels with my mother kind of gave away that I was doing something, you know, that was, that was all fair and good. <laughs> um, but, you know, we got to know each other really well and, you know, got speaking uh, you know, following 2008 financial crisis, I had noticed this shift in millennials uh, spending their money. And it wasn't really showing up in anyone's you know, economic 
data because millennials simply weren't earning enough disposable income for it to be a real trend. But it was clear that there was a preference for debit cards over credit cards. So the thought of how do you build a product that is deeply aligned with the consumer. And if you think about the credit industry, if 100% of people pay back a credit card on time, the industry simply doesn't work. It doesn't exist. And so incentives are completely misaligned. So to build a product that, you know, flip the economics on its head, charging the retailer a small fee, but in return, you know, this millennial and Gen Z consumer um, engages with their brand in a hugely accretive way. Um, you know, that was a really fortunate position to be in. And, you know, that little coming together of, you know, growing up during the 2008 financial crisis, selling jewelry online and my co-founder's background in finance, you know, really brought it all together. And it's an incredible story. And I, I love the fact that, you know, it's born out of, you know, you you were selling online, you know, that's, I think, I think I get that, that gives you an edge, I guess. It's that understanding, you know, of consumer behavior from your own experience of being an online retailer. And I think I'm right in saying that, you know, these days Afterpay has something like 15 or 20% of all online transactions in Australia. Is that right? Yep. Correct. Amazing. And obviously a, a significant and increasing percentage in the UK and also in the States as well. Um, you're, you've got a, a relatively young family. Um, how on earth can you juggle everything? Cause you've got an incredibly fast growing business I know that you're looking after different markets around the world. I think you've got re- yeah. hands-on responsibility for the growth of the business in the States as well as everything else that you do and your young family. How do you do yeah. it? <laughs> How do you it's hard. It's a, um, a very supportive family is point number one. Yeah. Um, but when you, you know, when you unlock a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity like this and you know, we were flying under the radar for as long as we could and um, you know, now it's about how do we scale fast Um you just you obviously you need to have your priorities right, but you can achieve that balance with the right team around you. It's yeah. it's it's as simple as that. But how you go from twenty people to a thousand people in you know five years uh, and distill that culture of customer centricity and being good human beings and doing the right thing as you scale um, in multiple different markets in different channels in different verticals it's complex so you know it comes back to the right talent you know we've got the, some of the best people in the world working for us and we're incredibly lucky um and you know just uh, there's never a good time for anything in my mind so you know, you go, want to do it all at the same time it. martin you gotta go for it absolutely yeah but a two a two-year-old and a six-month-old you know that's hard yards that's entrepreneurship <laughs> My kids are at a different stage, you know, my, my daughters are now 20, nearly 25 and 20. Uh, and we had that kind of four and a half year gap or so between them actually, which kind of worked out quite well. So I know some people like to do it, condense it, <laughs> which you've clearly done. So good good luck no on all of that. Are you um, are you one of these entrepreneurs that only needs four hours sleep a night, Nick? Um, no, even, you know, now being in Australia, you know, we were chatting a little bit earlier and uh, came back to Australia thinking it would be for four or six weeks. And I've been here for almost a year, yeah. um, waking up at, and starting work at, you know, 4.30, 5am to keep, you know, East Coast, West Coast time and have a good overlap with the East Coast. But if you get the right balance, um, I actually need sleep, something mm-hmm. my mother taught me, unfortunately, 
yeah so no i you know i I just think in in my mind you've always got these different points of equilibrium as you're going and you i know when i'm when i'm pushed it too hard and you know you you know me and you know i push it pretty hard but you know there's just that balance of 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 how how you get it right and you know, then how the team has the clarity of thought and sometimes just going that little bit slower, but having that clarity of mind and getting the right balance just keep, just just amplifies and sends you forward in a faster faster pace. Indeed, indeed. Um, I, I Well, I'm, I'm like-minded and uh, I don't know if it was passed down from my parents or not, but I certainly need my sleep. And I mean, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur as well, but, you know, if I don't get six or seven hours a night, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm the man that I, I could be, basically. So I definitely, I definitely need it. Um, I'm very privileged to, you and I met, I think, for the first time, probably about five, year, four or five years ago yeah. in Australia. And then eventually, I, uh, you gave me the opportunity, and uh, Anthony gave me the opportunity to, to join the advisory board, which I've absolutely loved and very, feel very privileged to have had that opportunity. Um, it's always struck me that, you know, you touched on culture there, you touched on people, and you touched on doing the right thing, being good human beings and everything. It's always struck me that, you know, the business has a great culture and has great yeah. people and a very engaged team. How have you, how, what have you done to achieve that, do you think? Um, look, I think a lot of it comes from the initial set of people that we brought in in the first 15 individuals into the organisation. And it's amazing how you get this compounding effect of people in the business who, you know, it becomes a privilege to work with certain people. You know, you go to work, you think, wow, how am I so lucky to work with? all of these people. And then that becomes a self-fulfilling, you know, prophecy of how it rolls out as you bring more people into, into the business. Um, you know, being really clear on what we stand for, what we are and what we're not, um, you know, building things in multiple regions from Australia is deeply unique. You know, like there are Australian businesses don't go global. It's not a, it's not a thing. It's not a thing is it? And so, there's a lot of new learning. There's a lot of career development. There's a lot of first-time opportunities at Afterpay. And, you know, to get the diversity then of culture across many parts of the world. And we started in Australia, then we went to New Zealand, then we launched in the US, then the UK, then Canada, and soon Southern Europe. You know, there's a deep set of um, diverse thought process, cultures, um, different regions in different phases of business. And it just it's exciting and it's special and you don't get many opportunities like this in your life. And so, you know, from our side, it's just making sure you get people. We talk a lot about being grounded in reality. Um, you know, Afterpay's happened pretty quick. You know, we, we raised our first round of money five years ago. We then went public nine months later and now we have a market cap of, you know, circa 35, $40 billion and we do 2 billion a month growing at a hundred percent year on year. And we still feel like we're on knife's edge, you know, yeah. like you, you still feel like, you know, you, you're at day one yeah. <laughs> and it's fragile and how do you keep driving? But, you know, we're just lucky that that's how we can, you know, play through and surround ourselves with those people. Yeah. Well, I think that's um, because <clears throat> I was going to ask you about how you keep the, your colleagues engaged, you know, over the long term. but I guess, you know, some of those opportunities that you alluded to that, fast growth of the business, the fact that we're going into other markets provides opportunities if people want it, I guess, to, to move. Yep. 
quite a few people have moved from Australia to the UK and to the States yep. and vice versa, haven't they? So Exactly. Lots of glo- global travel. A lot of people want to move to Australia, live in Australia too. So it's about, you know, how do you, how do you attract the right talent to the business at the different points in time of the region yeah. um, and planting early stage individuals in early stage countries. And then they take personal responsibility to waving the flag of culture. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how that amplifies. So the core, the core audience that, that you're aiming at is largely Gen Z and millennials. And the business is packed full of Gen Z and, and millennials. Um, I think you're, you still fall within the millennial bracket, I think, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, which is, I guess, you know, obviously one of the, the core factors of the, the foundation of the business and how it all came, came about in the first place. I love the energy. I mean, I um, had the privilege of presenting at an event that you ran in Australia uh, going back to December 19, 2019, when we were still allowed to travel. That's the yep. last big long haul journey I've made. I guess <laughs> I managed a week in the Algarve with my wife in August. How I longed for those days of going to Australia three or four times a year. But honestly, I, I think, you know, I do keynotes all over the world and I have never felt how I felt when I came out on stage that day and did my keynote. I mean, the, just the, the, the vibe I got back, the energy I got back from all the colleagues that were in the room was just phenomenal. Is that yeah. because, of, because it's a Gen Z and millennial driven business? Is that what it's yeah, I, you know, we definitely, our, our company reflects our customer base um, without a doubt. You know, we've got, um, we're just really lucky from from that perspective with our, you know, core staff member being a, a millennial individual. I think also a lot of that stems from the fact that I was given a lot of opportunity when I didn't, necessarily deserve it or have the track record to prove that I was capable of it. So having that mindset of, you know, putting the right people who have those skills in with the chance to deliver, you know, I like to think that we stand for that in our culture. Um, But, you know, it's exciting. The world has woken up to the fact that, you know, buy now, pay later, um, which, you know, we think is a terrible term because it's very broad and, and wide and captures a bunch of stuff that isn't necessarily like what we do. I mean, if, if the world pays in four, it's a better place than revolving credit. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of education that's required because people naturally um, try to compare you with what has previously existed. But when they stop and realize that you charge the retailer a fee, not the consumer. You can't revolve in debt because, you know, your account's disabled the moment you go late on one payment. It's small value. It's low outstanding balances. You know, all those things then align with people that that believe in what you're doing. I mean, most of our staff members use debit cards, not credit cards. Two out of three people in the UK, Australia, the US, aged 18 to 30, don't use a credit card anymore. They all use debit cards. So, you know, there's a, there's a difference in uh, generational understanding of how different cohorts spend their money. And that's the education process and, you know, privileged position that we're in. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of talks to what I was going to ask you next, because, you know, you know, I'm usually passionate about customer centricity. Not only is that the name of the podcast, but it's kind of really everything I do is, is aligned with that. Um, and, uh, you know, the business in the UK, which, which I said earlier, is called ClearPay. You know, I do see it genuinely being a very consumer-centric 
proposition because, you know, in my mind, when I think about customer centricity from a consumer point of view, it's all about empowerment. It's all about enabling customers to engage the way they want to engage. And isn't that just what we're doing here? I mean, that's that's ultimately yeah. at the heart of, 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 what, of what Clearpay and, and Afterpay are about. How do you ensure it stays that way? How do you ensure the business continues to have that real kind of consumer-focused mindset? Yeah, I mean, look, one of the one of the core principles as an example that we stood by was never charging interest. Yeah. Um, and you know how how you very transparent and upfront with the rules of the platform, and you know the the biggest people, the biggest reason why people pay us back is because they want to keep using the platform again. Mm-hmm. You know, someone that buys with us in year one buys four times a year, but three years later they buy twenty four times a year. Yeah. And you can only buy 24 times a year when your account isn't late. Yeah. And so the checks and balances that exist within the product are really important because they're all in the customer's favor to prevent themselves because incentives are completely aligned. Yeah. You know, if 100% of people pay us back on time, we would make more money. If 100% of people pay back a credit card on time, the industry doesn't work. Yeah. And so it's about setting the framework for the organization who, who understands your true north. You know, we, our, our mission is to power an economy in which everyone wins. There are too many, you know, experiences in life where it's not truly a win-win and that, that's the opportunity because then it's not deeply consumer-centric. Yeah, I get that. Um, and I suppose, again, Gen Z, you know, we talked a lot about them being really at the heart of both the customer base as well as, you know, the, the colleagues within Clearpay and Afterpay. Um, yeah. They really are the change makers, aren't they? They're, they're going to change the world. I mean, I've got two of them at home, one, one, one on the cusp who's about to turn 25, you know, so she's the very sort of start of uh, Gen Z. And then my, my 20-year-old who is a sort of Greta Thunberg Mark II. Um, what do you think? She's, she really is a deep activist across kind of everything, you know? What do you think their impact is going to be on the world? Because I think it's going to be really quite profound. Yeah, well, there's two things that are happening at the moment. One is um, what they believe in and what they stand for is very pronounced and public and real time. There's a lot of real time feedback, but, you know, whether it's, you know, in fashion and beauty, whether it's sustainability, diversity and inclusion, gender fluidity, you know, being at the forefront of all of those trends and, and actually demanding brands that stand for principles that are aligned with how they live and supporting brands you know when we saw covid start to unfold the small business cohort weathered it significantly better than the big business cohort so you had consumers saying i'm going to support brands i love at times of dif- at difficult times and of good times and it was driven by the gen z and millennial cohort but what's happened is um Millennials and Gen Z seem to, you know, have have been thought about as like the, the next generation, the up and coming generation. The average millennial is now in their mid thirties. In ten years' time, millennial and Gen Z will represent fifty percent of all retail spend in the economy. Right. Um, you know, and they'll earn, you know, a very material portion of disposable income. So there's this compounding growth over time as millennial and Gen Z consumers earn more income and then their trends become the trend. And that's where I think there's a freight train coming for many brands who have built really big businesses focusing on a different cohort, but 
income earned and disposable income are, are linked and they're coming into their perfect point of purchasing power mm-hmm. and trends are going to dr- dramatically change because you know the firm beliefs of different generations are, are distinctly different and i think that you know i think what's interesting with what you were saying there as well is i mean if you're if you're a business even even if today for example I mean, I can't think of too many businesses where Gen Z and millennials wouldn't be relevant as a customer base. But even, yeah. if, you, even if you thought today they're not my cohort, you know, they are tomorrow. And, and to your point, yeah. in a year's time, they're going to, you know, they're going to control, you know, 50% of the revenue uh, um, and, and expenditure. Therefore, having a true sort of customer-centric view of customers and building customer lifetime value, how you build that relationship is massively important. And... I would have thought that again, you know, this is where, you know, clear pay and after pay really come into their own because they are natural drivers of loyalty. You know, if, if at the end of the day, they drive the engagement on the platform with the different yeah. brands, then, you know, they, 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 pay, they play that kind of loyalty role, don't they, to some extent? Yeah. I mean, look, there's a group on Facebook in Australia called We Love Afterpay. It's got mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of members, you know, more than 1% of the Australian population is part of the afterpay fan groups, you know, where, you know, the most used word in our app store review is the word love. Yeah. And so to see, you know, clear pay and afterpay brands resonate because of what we stand for. The biggest reason why people don't use us is because they think that there's a catch. And when they realize there is no catch, they recommend us to their friends and yeah. word of mouth is tremendously strong, you know, to the point where they actually start their shopping journey with us. So you know, in the month of November, we send over 35 million leads to our retail partners. It's almost, you know, 400 million leads per annum. Yeah. We're sending about as much traffic as the big social media platforms are Phenomenal. to our retail partners. Yeah. And when you can become a marketing channel with an incredibly high intent consumer, whose disposable income is growing and they're the customer that everyone's striving to acquire, you're in a really special position because it's no longer just a payment product. You know, this is about being a marketing channel for our retailers and, you know, standing for something that is the opposite of credit and it's created a movement of consumers that have, you know, backed the change. I think what you, what you've just described is what I would probably say is the difference between having customers and having fans. You know, you've got fans, you've got brand advocates, you've got devotees, and you know that obviously drives that word of mouth, which you know every every marketer is looking for. So, yep. well done. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, you wouldn't be able to do that, right? Unless one, you had a had a proposition that really resonated, and and two, you you live by what you say, you walk the talk. You know, everything you're describing about the business and how you see the world and and your colleagues and everything. You know, it it, it all it all adds up. It's the sum of the parts ultimately drives you know, that type of consumer engagement you know i think it's um i just a quick question about the city and, and uh, obviously you're a listed business because because you kind of fall into what i would imagine is that term fintech you know financial technology but i, I see you as customer tech or consumer tech you know again yeah. i mentioned earlier about consumer empowerment because i think that's really at the heart of it is that is, is that at the heart or and the essence of what ClearPay is doing in the UK, do you think? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Look, for, for, from our perspective, it's how do you provide customers with a great budgeting tool where they, you know, can can make their transactions, have the right, you know, ways of managing their cash flow and buying with, you know, largely their debit cards. 90% of our customers use a debit card 
not a credit card. And so, you know, how you build a product that, you know, is the opposite of finance because you flip the model around the definition is challenging because there's so many new products that are coming up um, around. And, you know, at the end of the day, the key lens, I, I think, to scale and product market fit is, to your point, you know, customer centricity. And so we're building this ecosystem of consumers that are incredibly valuable, um, that retailers and other brands, you know, desire to build a great relationship with. And it's up, to, you know, at the end of the day, if you build trust, that's your catalyst to more. Totally. And so our, our consumers say, we, we trust you. Um, and then the question is, you know, how, how much, how much of their lives can we play a, a special role in? And if we can build win-win equations in different moments of their lives, like that, that, that's our focus. Yeah. And just a nice, nice segue on from that, actually, because you obviously must, must capture a huge amount of really interesting data, or as you call it down under data, uh, <laughs> about, about consumers and their behavior, because, and I know from my sort of previous experience as an e-com, a multi-channel director of brands like Burberry and Harrods and Ted Baker, you know, how much I would have killed to have the type of insight that tells me who buys what on a Sunday, you know, and, we, you know, what day of what day of the week do people buy suits versus dresses versus shirts yep. versus ties and, you know, just the ability that that would give you from a marketing point of view to be able to talk and communicate yeah. age with consumers more effectively. What do you what do you do with all of that, and how how can you leverage that both to help I guess customers, consumers, and customers of the business who are using Afterpay and Clearpay? Yeah, I mean, look, um, generally within the first twenty four hours of launching with a brand, will represent ten to thirty percent of their online transactions. So, mm-hmm. you know, to very quickly capture a significant share, and not only um, be able to communicate you know, deep demographic data and insight of that customer who's shopping at their brand. But, you know, what does their share of wallet look like and where else are they shopping and where does their intent sit? You know, who are their true competitors for that share of wallet? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's where we partner with our retailers incredibly closely to, to provide them with the insights that they need to, to lead their businesses. Um, you know, when people are, when, are, when are certain customers buying online, when are certain customers buying in store, what does that omni-channel consumer truly look like? And, you know, that, that, that's the position that, that we're in because you can function in both channels. Um, but yes, there's, you know, in, in, in Australia, um, we process, one in three online fashion transactions. Um, and, you know, we're in a really, a really lucky position to partner with our consumers and our merchants just to, you know, build, build better experiences. Yeah. Just in terms of sector, I mean, I can see how this obviously works incredibly well within, you know, within retail. Um, have you got any plans to go elsewhere? You know, can you take this into, into travel, into leisure, into other, into other verticals? Yeah, I mean, three years ago in Australia, fashion and beauty represented north of 70% of our total volume. Today, it represents 40. Um, You know, you can afterpay an airline ticket um, in Australia. You can go to the dentist and use afterpay. Really? So, so, you know, where where this goes and how our consumers can manage their cash flow across all verticals that they love, you know, that's the critical focus for us. And so, you know, that, that, that for us is... Um, is key, but but the, the, the consumers take us there because 
customers actually go out to their favorite brands and say to them, hey, we'd love it if you got Afterpay. And then brands come inbound to us and, you know, we're naturally expanding into a variety of new verticals, you know, whether it's, you know, homewares with house um, or going into sporting goods with brands like Gymshark, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's a variety of ways where you can slowly over time move into categories that millennial and Gen Z um, consumers love. And, but at the end of the day, I shouldn't, I don't think there should be a limitation, um, to, to how we provide this flexibility to, to our consumers across all verticals. I agree. And, you know, at the end of the day, if, if it's about consumer empowerment. And if that's how they want to buy, you know, if that's how they want to procure goods and services, then, then why not? And I suppose as you continue to add more and more categories, again, that just makes customers more sticky. It makes them more loyal. Yep. And from the brand perspective, it drives even more leads and more lifetime value. 100%. Um, you started in Australia, then you came to the, then you went to the States, I think, first of all, and then, yeah. you, and then you came Don't to get New Zealand. Oh, well, my apologies, my apologies <laughs> to, the, to the All Blacks and uh, everybody else down under. So you went Australia, New Zealand, then you came to uh, the, then you US went to the UK, then you came to the UK. Where next? I know you got plans for Europe. What's on the horizon? Yeah, we launched into Canada, um, and you know we announced an acquisition in Southern Europe um, with a you know a, a brand Pagantis that was live in Spain, Italy, France. So you know a glide path to Southern Europe um, in in the short term. And you know for us, it's just about going global with our existing retailers. You know our retailers are the ones pushing us to expand into new markets. Um, you know, they've seen the local offerings in those markets and work with us in different regions. And their ask is, you know, how do you move wider as quickly as possible? And they'd love to be the launch partner because they know the positive impact that has. So to have the support of those retailers who, you know, will be there from the start and can scale with us, you know, that, 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 that's just a, um, yeah, a, a lucky piece of the strategy where you can expect, you can be retail led in your expansion. Yeah, and I've, I've noticed as well now that fairly recently, I think you've opened up the website so that consumers can buy from all of, yep. the, all of your all customers, customers in Australia or America or the UK or whatever. Exactly. Clearly, so a cross-border ecosystem yeah. um, is absolutely critical. And, you know, op opening up tens of millions of US consumers to shop from UK brands, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a core part of our value proposition. Yeah. Um, Nick, you uh, like me. You, you started as a retailer and you became a became a service provider. Um, how does that feel? What do you prefer? Yeah. <laughs> or do you, or is it yeah. you, you like a bit of both? I don't know. No, no. I, well, I mean, I think in my DNA, I'm a, I'm a definitely a retailer. But I think you get a different level of appreciation when you start on the retail side of the fence and you trade every single day, and that's your DNA. To yeah. then when you get into the B two B side of the fence, you know. Um, we, we treat our B2B business very much like a consumer business. At the end of the day, the biggest unlock is consumers loving you. Consumers love you. The rest takes care of itself. So it's been quite a pleasure. I mean, you get the, you get the diversity of retail thought when you're dealing with so many great partners, get to have the most incredible conversations, but you know, we love what we do. We love retail and that's, you know, that's the secret sauce, I think. It is indeed. Yeah. Likewise, I mean, I've been a I've been a service provider pretty much half of my career and a retailer for the other half. And I, I do still consider myself 
think of myself as a retailer at heart, for sure. Um, you are undoubtedly one of the most driven people I've ever met, uh, and I'm, I'm not blowing smoke. You really are. And I just wondered, you know, do you gen genuinely, do you think you'll ever get bored of the journey? Or, we're, we're, you know, I suppose that's slight, a slightly rhetorical question to some extent. Yeah. Oh, look, I think, look, firstly, thank you. I think it's a huge compliment. Um, but I, uh, look, when you can function with a really long-term view because you want this to be your last job, you can, you know, really make long-term investments in systemic ch change and play a critical role and make decisions that are probably different to others can. And, you know, I'm loving every minute of it. Um, it's, it's such a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So, you know... For me, it, you just keep peeling the layers of the onion back and it all gets more and more exciting. Yeah. And as you said earlier, there's still so much <clears throat> so much to go after in Absolutely. terms of markets and customers and everything, despite the success, I guess, there's a huge amount of headroom in the, in the future. Yeah. And that all comes with its appropriate complexity, but that's the fun part. You know, yeah. how do you solve more complex problems and distill it into really clear to understand strategies? So your team can get behind it and understand the direction and, you know, retailers and consumers buy into it equally. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a privileged problem to solve. Yeah. Well, if I, if I were a betting man, which I may occasionally do, I certainly wouldn't bet against you achieving, achieving all that and more. Nick, I'm very grateful for you spending time with me just now. Um, I know it's not the weather in Sydney today for a Barbie, uh, but I dare say you're going to want to go and put your kids to bed and, have a nice relaxing evening uh, with your wife. So thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Martin. Um, Thanks for having me. If you would like to know more about what we're doing at Customer Service Action, the platform where people can share their good and bad customer service stories and experiences in one impartial place, then please visit customerserviceaction.com. Please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can be notified when we go live with future episodes. Thank you so much for joining us today on Customer Centricity with me, Martin Newman.